spinning out of control. The sky is set ablaze in all its red and gold. The temperature's rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where we are also archived for your binge listening pleasure. You can find all our past shows there and uh, listen to them to your heart's content. We're a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. I'm joined today by Chris Ryan, and it has been... A busy, busy week, but I wanted to start with a bit of reflection because this is the anniversary weekend of the Woodstock Festival, the uh, Yasger Farm in Bethel, New York. Hundreds of thousands of people who were my age at the time I was that age in 1969 gathered for music and rain, hilarity, Lots of drugs, lots of sex, lots of people helping each other. And I don't really know whether it was the beginning or the end of a movement or a time in our generation. It certainly was a signature weekend. And I want to go back just a little bit further because in light of the grand poobah of the United States, Donald Trump coming to Manchester, New Hampshire, to talk to 12,000 people at the Verizon Center for one of his signature rallies. I've been thinking about how we got here and where we were and what life was like way back when. And when I, I graduated from high school in 1968, and it was a tumultuous time, the 60s, a very tumultuous time. John F. Kennedy had been assassinated and. Uh, earlier in the decade, uh, we'd seen uh, racial tensions rise. I graduated from high school on the day that Bobby Kennedy died. It was, to say the least, a pretty striking, tumultuous time. I remember I, I lived in New York City and I was in a taxi cab on the way to my graduation and the taxi cab driver had the radio on I was talking to a buddy we were sharing a cab to get to our high school graduation I mean it's New York City how do you get there you take a cab it's a special day and uh, I was all charged up I was young I was uh, 16 um, and uh, I was pretty naive at the time. I had not been as involved in politics as a lot of my buddies were. I mean, remember, in New York City, we'd had the Columbia University takeovers. We had the war in Vietnam raging. It's 1968, and I'm in this cab on the way to my high school graduation, and the cab driver says, hush up, hush up, you boys, hush up, and he turns the radio up, and we hear that Bobby Kennedy had been shot and died. Now, that was a pretty signature event. Suffice it to say that the high school graduation ceremony was a little bit different than 
it had been planned. I was in the cab with my buddy John, uh, who would later go to the same small college as me, Dartmouth College in New Hampshire. He was the valedictorian for the class, and uh, I don't remember much about what he said, but he did talk about the times we were in and the challenges we would face. And then that summer of 1968 was the summer of the Democratic Convention in Chicago, with Mayor John Daley calling out the police on protesters in Chicago. And I watched on TV as I saw kids my age beaten, tear-gassed, uh, and abused by an angry uh, police force at the Democratic Convention. And by the time I got to Dartmouth College in the fall of 1968, I was a very, very different person than I had been a few months earlier. I was, uh, I was, uh, I don't know, I was alert. I was open to what was going on in the world in a way that I hadn't been. And Dartmouth College was, I'd say, five years behind most of the rest of the colleges and universities in the country in terms of its political awareness. And it was as if the reality of the war in Vietnam and what uh, was going on in the 60s had just hit. But it was still a very interesting and very conservative place. It was predominantly a conservative men's school that was bound by uh, tradition. Uh, and uh, I came, apparently, I later learned, as kind of a quota. Uh, here's a Jew from New York coming up to Hanover at a time when that was kind of unusual, it turned out. And uh, they've had a quota there at Dartmouth College about all that. But there I was from New York as one of the quota. And I had been radicalized. And uh, that winter, uh, Dartmouth College saw yeah, the takeover of its administration building. I stayed outside, by the way, um, because uh, I don't remember why. I stayed outside uh, the administration building. But things went uh, pretty crazy after that. And then in 1969, the summer in August, uh, there was Woodstock. And I'm not sure, as I said at the top, whether it marked the beginning or the end uh, of an era because uh, Woodstock was soon followed by Altamont. And by the time uh, the uh, Hells Angels had beaten people up at Altamont, what was left of the happy-go-lucky, hippy-dippy 60s was, was pretty much gone. But the political awareness that was there then stayed with me. And frankly, uh, it became very difficult to uh, trust the government. Uh, after we learned what we learned about Vietnam. It became very difficult, and I think that lingering mistrust of the government has pervaded our politics ever since. Um, for me, Obama was a respite, but uh, <coughs> the current occupant of the White House, Donald Trump, is not giving me any reason to trust my government. America is a um, great experiment, and... In that, there's going to be peaks and valleys, uh, trials, tribulations, and um, a lot of unknowns. And, you know, we are certainly in that period. When you consider, you mentioned 1968, and I think that's kind of a, 
um, a good comparison to make. You know, we right now are wondering who we are as a country. Are we um, the country of Donald Trump? And um, it's a bunch of individuals that uh, believe in white supremacy and that um, racial equality is not a part of our country. A lot of things that I think um, folks on the, the left uh, thought were decided and perhaps some independent Americans thought were decided suddenly are kind of up in the air. And the fact of the matter is that things in this country are very difficult to achieve and take a long period of time to achieve. And you once mean change they, is incremental, not bold? And once the change is change does occur, you have to fight to make sure that the change uh, continues to be the norm. And you consider, I always look at um, slavery and the civil rights movement as being kind of the template for how America moves on, on issues. And with that, um, it took 100 years to free the slaves. It took another 100 years to uh, see African-Americans as equal under the law. Uh, so, I th- and now, you know, here we sit and there's individuals that are you know, openly discussing, um, you know, racist uh, thoughts and uh, processes. So... Not only individuals, but the president of the United right. States is Who clearly is elected by is, is clearly and, a ra- and is, I believe I believe the president is, and I've said this many times before. The president is not the leader of this movement. This movement has been there for a while, and he is a he, he is a beneficiary. Into, he tapped yeah. he tapped into it and is giving it voice and permission. But you know the 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 currents of American history, as you correctly point out are 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 it's like you know you could say yin and yang it's like it's it's two sides two sides of two sides of of a coin that have always been a push me push me pull you we're a country that was founded uh, by the highest ideals in a bold experiment that said all are created equal of course what they meant at the time was all white men who hold a certain amount of property are created equal and we're not going to be or ruled did by they? the king but who they know, who but, knows but but, but no, wait no, a no, second one thing, on that, one thing on that i mean i think that that right there that paradox describes what america is and what I was about to say... To Here we have these ideals, but I can't live up to them. To further illustrate the paradox, they said all men are created equal. Those are the famous words, yet 41 of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were slaveholders. Mm-hmm. And so much of our history has been uh, around this undercurrent of high ideals and striving to meet them, uh, but, but, uh, but falling back. Uh, continually in trying in trying to in trying to make it so people and politicians express high ideals and then fail to live up to those ideals on a consistent basis that is a huge part of what america is then other individuals look at them and say fraud you are you are living a different life than you say that you're the the, the character that you're playing um as a senator or as a, a member of congress and where are you to live up to those ideals and Donald Trump, to a large degree, and other candidates have called out that and said, yeah, they're, they're all a bunch of frauds. They say one thing, they do another. At least you know who I am. What have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? And now, um, in his phrasing, uh, it is, we have made America great. And now, if you want to keep this economy going, 
you got to vote for me or we're all screwed. You're going to lose your 401k. The entire country is going to fall apart. Um, so now you need me. You may hate me. This is ba- it's basically what he's exactly he said, said that yesterday. You may hate me. You may hate me, but, but you, need, you me. need me. Yeah. And by the way, a recession is coming, folks. I mean, we're overdue. The stock market is overinflated. Uh, there are lots of reasons uh, why there's a global slowdown, not the least of which are the president's policies in terms of trade and tariffs uh, with China. He doesn't understand the economy. Nobody there does. This is off the record with Paul Hodes on WKXL. AM and FM, streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can find us archived for your binge listening pleasure. We're a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. I'm talking uh, with Chris Ryan on this show. And Chris Ryan's an interesting guy because he follows a lot of politicians around and has been listening to a lot of what politicians say and then understanding what politicians do. Uh, We're talking... On Off the Record with Paul Hodes, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back after this. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLA and FM screening live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com for your binge listening pleasure. We're archived there and we're a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. I'm talking with Chris Ryan here at WKXL deep in our bunker on Reddington Road. Talking politics, talking generations. I started out the show talking about some of my recollections as a youth. Did you say Utes? The famous line from my cousin Vinny. Did you say Utes? I did, because I used to be a Ute. I was a Ute way back when. Talked about the generation that grew up with the war in Vietnam, the deaths of great civic leaders, and the Woodstock generation, which uh, stopped a war but uh, has uh, been relatively silent. And here we are now uh, as the baby boomers. Uh, not having solved uh, climate change and uh, somehow delivering Donald Trump to the country. He was he was in town. He was in Manchester. He had a few people at his rally. Sounded like 12,000 people who were going to a worldwide uh, wrestling event. Um, you know, kind of like it's a combination of wrestling and uh, heavy metal. Um, I, what I heard was that it's the loudest thing you've ever been to. I wasn't inside the arena. If I was, I probably would have been beaten up and carried out <laughs> by, by goons because he would have called the goon squad on me. Uh, but Governor Sununu was there, and Governor Sununu was signing uh, Make America Great Again hats. He was a happy Republican because, frankly, folks, it's the Trump Sununu agenda. Make no mistake, the governor is certainly an affable, likable guy, uh, but his policies, including his 50 vetoes, are more in line with the president's way of governing than anything else. It's a my way or the highway. Um, and he is a Trump guy through and and through. Now, the Democratic politics here in the state have gotten a kind of interesting um, because uh, there are a number of candidates who are looking at running for governor against the governor, Sununu. 
a recent poll came out of UNH saying that Governor Sununu's favorability is at 60%. His favorability is higher at this moment than Governor Maggie Hassan's was at this point in the term. So we've got, of the names that are public, we've got State Senator Dan Feltis, who has said explicitly that he's exploring a run. He's certainly been acting like it for a long time, and he's a smart, nice guy and a good friend who's a strong legislator. Um, got Andy Valinsky, uh, executive counselor, another good friend who is a smart pit bull of, a, of an executive counselor. Um, there are rumors that uh, Molly Kelly, who ran last time, might get in the race. Some people say that even Mayor Joyce Craig uh, of Manchester, who is running hard for another term as mayor with a race uh, and an election date that's coming up right away, um, actually, uh, might be thinking about it. But it's hard to hear what those rumbles are about. Who else have you heard about? Uh, that's pretty much it. Um, and it would not be unprecedented to for Craig to run as Gatsis just ran um, after he was uh, reelected. You know, you never know who may also get into uh, that race if it's you know that crowded. I bet Steve Marchand's going to get in. Steve Marchand, that's that's that's. I think he's going to get in as well. So, uh, and, yeah. I wrote, and I wrote a slamming letter to the Concord Monitor the other day, and everybody people people are calling me. You want you to run? Well, I don't know. You gonna run? You gonna run for governor? Well. I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm not announcing oh. that I'm running for governor. But you're not ruling it out. That's that kind of question that that talking heads and pundits and news guys always ask anybody ever in politics. Are you ruling it out? I'm not ruling out that. And I'm not ruling out. I'm not ruling out that an iceberg is going to come ashore in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I'm not ruling out that a great white shark is going to is going to swim up the Merrimack River. Merrimack River. And no, I'm not ruling out that I might run for governor. So if you had to place a percentage on it, that's the next question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not playing that game. All right. Um, but but so so let's just say that that here we are in New Hampshire. It's political season, and that there are a number of uh, males running for governor. A um, couple from Concord, from the Seacoast, who knows, a bevy of males, and then a female candidate for governor uh, on the Democratic side gets in the race. Um, is it a slam dunk in your considered opinion that a female candidate has the advantage in that kind of race, or does it depend on the candidate? I mean, it should depend on each individual. I'm not asking what it sh- their, whether it should, should depend. I think that we are seeing a politics that is moving much more uh, towards uh, identity-based as opposed to candidate-based. And um, I think that uh, individuals are more and more viewing the person that they like, that has a similar background, that has the same type of cultural values that they do. So I think that um, given the fact that uh, the electorate is you know, more than 50 percent female, um, that that would be favorable uh, in a field of males. What differentiates that candidate from the others would be the fact that she is um, – female and then um, would be perceived as being stronger on uh, women's issues and such. Why do you think it is that New Hampshire seems to 
uh, be such a forward-thinking state when it comes to gender politics. I mean, we've had because we've of had, the first part. We've but had, I think we're going. I we, think well, that generally. Wait a second. Wait yeah. a second. We've had very successful uh, governors. I mean, back in the '90s, we had Jean Shaheen, mm-hmm. who was a successful governor, ran, and is now in United and States. And she Senator. won each time because she was the better candidate. She won because she was a better candidate, and she was a female. When we had Maggie Hassan. Um, recently, who also went on to win a a Senate race, um, and for a long time we had an all female uh, congressional delegation with Annie Custer, Carol Shea Porter, Maggie, and and Jeannie. Mm-hmm. Um, now Chris Pappas in the Seacoast uh, broke that mold. There, there you go. There's a bold, bold step uh, for the male species um, on on the Seacoast. But it seem you know it seems to be um, that New Hampshire has always been a very very progressive place when it comes to women in politics. And I think that it has a lot to do with the first thing that I mentioned is that New Hampshire, in my view, gets it right and views each individual and each race and determines who is the most qualified, what is the um, the person that best fits the time, and that's the person that they they vote for. And I don't think that. In the past, there's been a lot of looking at things through a, a gender perspective. But as I referenced, I think we're moving, particularly in larger fields, into a area where individuals are thinking more about that than they have in, in the past. I think the people are more about uh, who identifies best with, um, with them as an individual, who understands them the best, not the person that's necessarily the best person to do the job, has the most qualifications, um, has the best skill set. It's does this person understand me and my feelings and my family and will they represent that? And I think that that's been a huge theme, you know, across the country where experience has been seen for the most part as a detriment. It's more about can the per- is the person likable um, and can they identify with the voters? So, Governor Sununu presents a very likable exterior. He's a good example. He's a good example of somebody who's ass- affable and folksy. He's he's not the world guy you'd like to have a beer with. Guy, guy you could have a beer with because you know, I mean, he's not the most eloquent speaker. He uh, speaks off the pretty much off the cuff uh, all the time. He's he's a kind of down to earth appearing guy, and he's now issued fifty vetoes. Um, of bills that have come to him from the democratically controlled uh, uh, legislature. And his office has been bragging about the fact that, um, you know, his approval numbers have gone up to 60 percent. But I'll say this. No one is focusing. And a big change we have seen as well is that um, individuals in New Hampshire and in other states are viewing politics through a national lens and the erosion of Local media, which has been preceded by the erosion of interest in local media, um, has led to a Except for WKXL, off the record with Paul Hodes, whose the listenership is reaching titanic proportions across the world. In all honesty, we have been a huge beneficiary of um, the erosion of uh, of local media because we're one of the one of the lone local media entities that still exists and is talking about politics and talking about what's happening at the the state level so we have been doing very well as a result of um 
uh, doing well by names, doing but, well by doing good. Right, and so we have. I'm not going to get into the, how the proportionality and the pie breaks and so forth, but we have done very well off of the fact that we have seen changes in um, how much coverage and how other stations are are going about doing things. Anyway. Um, we were talking so, about the nationalization right, of so, New Hampshire politics. So Chris Sununu or any New Hampshire politician is able to have success by just talking to folks at a very visceral level, by going on shows that are not, um, you know, the, the popular shows that are not political based, by splashing uh, stuff on on digital. Um, and by highlighting the the personality side of who they are, so people don't really know what Chris Sununu does or any politician does in terms of what they vote for and what they, and that the only time they're informed of that is during campaign, and so then they don't believe any of it, right? Because they all say right. it's all just negative. So negative. Chris Sununu's Chris Sununu's approval numbers are going to are going to drop remarkably and during the course of the campaign because that's when people will be informed of his his stuff now they may, they're also be informed of his opponent's stuff they're going to like neither one of them and then one of them gets up when one of them ends up winning but that's the thing too is where because fewer people are more people have control over what they view when they view it and we are an on-demand society so you know the days of just blanketing MUR with ads and thinking that's going to move the dial for you. I mean, those are those days are over. Um, you have to meet people where they are, and people if they do watch the local news, they're not watching the commercials. When is the last time you watched a commercial? I mute the commercials. Yeah, you, you mute the commercial. You go to a different channel. Um, except except when it's on WKXL <laughs> off the record with Paul Hodes and we take a break. I listen to, I listen religiously right. to every sure. single one of, of our sponsors. Do. Of course you do. Of and, course I do. And um, one of the reasons that we have uh, put um, all our sponsors are mentioned within the course of the programming is because the fact that people tune out the commercials and those are the facts. So when they see that same commercial come on again for for a politician, you're gonna change the channel unless you're a junkie like us you want to see what they're what they're saying um tom steyer is a really interesting uh um candidate for a number of reasons one of them is that he has a huge amount of access to likely democratic primary voters via the fact that he ran uh next gen for many years the other thing that he's doing is he is doing ads on mur and on cable but you cannot go online without seeing Tom Steyer pop up. You can't go on Twitter. You can't go on Facebook. He's spending go- he's spending a hundred million dollars to argue that we need to get the money out of politics. <laughs> exactly. I'm willing to spend. I'm willing to spend my entire fortune <laughs> to make sure that we get the money out and of politics. And if you're annoyed by me, I am making making my point for. It. And other candidates as well. They're using um, to inform of events. They micro target. Uh, certain uh, communities where the candidates can be going, and they say you can go and meet this candidate on this date. RSVP here; they're going to be right there. So, um, but that also makes the New Hampshire experience more special, and in some ways even more important because so given given the decline in the. Uh, impact of local media Mm -hmm. and the relatively few outlets for media. Um, You know, at least my experience has been that 
that in this election season, the 2020 election season, and, and we're in it, deep, deep in it, and we've been for a while, that the personal, the opportunity to personally meet the candidates. And if and look, it's, so far it's been presidential candidates, but soon it will be candidates for state offices at, at some point down the line. It makes the New Hampshire experience and our ability as a relatively, as a small state, uh, not that large geographically, and you can get there from here, and you can see the candidates. It makes it even more important for a lot of the presidential candidates because Whatever the national media and the local pundits are saying about them and whatever the polling is, ultimately it comes down to meeting people uh, face-to-face in New Hampshire, and we get, we get to do it all. So it's still a very, very important experience. All the media and, uh, and, and that you're talking about and all the ways to reach voters, whether it's micro-targeting through digital, whether it's phone calls, whatever it is, are all about driving a relative, in New Hampshire, driving a relatively few number of people to get to the polls on election day and vote for the candidate of their choice. What's changed is the way the candidate is introduced to the electorate. But the process of the candidate connecting with the electorate is still very much the same. In other words, um, an individual is not going to happen upon Kamala Harris and not know who she is. In the past, that might happen. Um, but now you you know who they are. They've been introduced via television. Um, they've been introduced via digital and now it's about forming your own opinion about them. And Elizabeth Warren's campaign has done a really good job in regards to that, where there's preconceived narratives and notions about who Elizabeth Warren is, but she's run a campaign to her liking, a campaign the way that she wants it to be run. And she has been able to meet by meeting individuals for a one-on-one and taking pictures and talking to them for hours after her events. Uh, she has been able to change the the narrative about her not being, um, you know, in touch with individuals, not being personal. Um, and she has done that voter by voter by voter. And for each individual that you meet and take a picture with, you are receiving, you know, the endorsement of that individual on social media and putting, uh, and they are putting you as a candidate and themselves in front of another 400 to 1,000 people uh, on social media and social media has in some ways you know usurped um local media and that's you know if somebody sees something they say something online there's a bear down the road so then the person you know friends see it they put a picture up there and that's how um you know things have have changed and local media kind of you know follows that to some extent as well um but the the primary has changed and there's been a lot of discussion about you know, whether the New Hampshire, this happens every single time, whether the New Hampshire primary is losing its significance and so forth. Um, no, each cycle is different. This primary is different than the previous one, and the next one will be different than this one. But as long as all the entities agree that this is working, and that includes the, the national media, um, it includes the, the, uh, the party bosses, includes the candidates and the voters, and everybody's having a good relationship, the primary will the primary will stay because it does work because uh, how you referenced before, where it gives uh, campaigns an opportunity to test out messages, find out what works, 
it's kind of you know this part is is the minor league baseball portion of things and then once we get to um you know january and february we get to the majors this is off the record with paul hodes here in the smoke-filled room at wkxl deep in the smoke past the stogie charlie past the stogie charlie here in reddington road talking politics with chris ryan we're going to take a short break it's gotten a hill over there and then we're gonna be back with more fun and jocularity from off the record with paul hodes don't go away don't mute these commercials Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hoots on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where we're archived for your binge listening pleasure. We are a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. This is Paul Hodes, and I am talking with Chris Wright in this edition of Off the Record. I decided that I hadn't talked with my buddy Chris and long enough, and I wanted to pick his brain about what is going on in the world of politics. And he's got a pretty interesting perspective because he helps run this radio station. And I can say I paid for this microphone, Mr. Green, but it's not true. Um, I'm hoping that some beneficial sponsor is going to come along and say, we're paying for this microphone, Mr. Green, because if there's anybody out there who'd like to sponsor my show, I'm ready. I'm open. I'm, we're, we'll talk. We're looking for spawn, a sponsor for Off the Record. It's now, now it's a pretty long-running show, Chris. It Haven't is. I, I've been doing this for three years. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing to me that it's been, it's been that long, and I think, I think people are listening. Uh, people are starting to come up to me to say, you know, we listen to your show. We kind of like you. We think... We think you're okay at this. So we must be doing something right. We don't, something we don't right. hate you as much as we did before. That's right. We, didn't, we, we don't, we we don't you. dislike you as much as we did when you were a congressman. <laughs> because, I, you know, we, we talked about that at some point in the show. It, what, what's really amazing is I just – I remember one episode in particular. Now, you know, I, I'm, I'm determined to remember the good times about being a congressman. But I got to tell you, I was running for the U.S. Senate in 2010. It was a tough, tough tough race. I was a sitting congressman. I was exhausted. I was trying to raise the dough. I was running against uh, a Teflon candidate in Kelly Ayotte. I mean, you know, she she was on television uh, running around in a tracksuit, and I and I was a dumpy middle aged guy. I mean, so so <laughs> in terms of identity politics, what were you, what are you going to do, right? I mean, a balding middle aged guy against Kelly Ayotte in a tracksuit. I mean, there was there was no chance. I got on an airplane to come back from uh, D from DC where I'd been doing the people's business, trying to pass health care or whatever it was. And some guy, I walked up the aisle, and some guy just lit into me. He was sitting in an aisle seat. And he went on, he was going on and on about, you crummy crook, we sent you down there, and now you're doing nothing but on the dole. I don't know who you're representing, but you're not representing me. We're going to get you, is what he said. We're going to get you. And there was something about the venom in his voice. There was something about... The deep dislike and hatred. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. But he felt emboldened. And this is, by the way, is 2010. This is at the dawn of the age that we've now been in with social media and smartphones. He felt comfortable enough back then on, a, on an airplane flight in public to ream me out. Now, I will say 
Some very nice people came up to me afterwards and said, Congressman, you're doing a great job. We've got your back. Don't worry. Well, I was worried because we know how that Senate race went. (laughs) It was a bad year. But anyway, 2020 is a very different time. We've got this We've got so many challenges that we're facing as a nation, as a planet, as a state. And one of the things that I am interested to see and interested to talk about and something that I think is really important is if we're thinking about New Hampshire, what's, what is the vision for our state? Who's got, who's got the vision that talks about where we want this state to be and how we're going to get there? I don't see it happening right now. I'm concerned that I see at the state level the same kind of debates about the finer points of policy that we saw in the National Democratic debate, that in the National Democratic debate, there's one candidate, and with, with, with full disclosure, I work with Marianne Williamson, but Marianne Williamson's message was plans and policies and the finer points of plans and policies aren't going to defeat Donald Trump because she recognizes, I think, what you were talking about earlier in the show, that in a world where personality and how you feel about a candidate, however it's conveyed, is more important than the particulars of their plans and policies, Plans and policies and whatever the differences are between your health care for all and my health care for all and your single payer for everybody and my universal health care are not necessarily going to define uh, the race and, and how it's run. Similarly, but, but, let, me, but, let me just finish, right. let me just finish yeah. this thought. So similarly, at the state level, where you've got a governor, a Republican governor, Democratic legislature, and the Republican governor is on the exterior an affable guy whose policies are terrible, uh, 50 vetoes, not moving us forward. You've got this challenge for Democrats to, to not get mired into the particularities of plans and policies. And I have not, uh, right now, um, you know, you've got Jeannie in Washington and Maggie's in Washington, Annie's in Washington, Chris Pappas is, is Chris Pappas is in Washington. And it's a challenge for the state Democratic Party to co to to really have a voice um, even at this early date that isn't concentrated on plans and policies. I'm interested in a vision for New Hampshire. I'm I'm interested in somebody who says, you know, here at this here at the state level, we are um, behind the times in a lot of ways. We need an education that focuses on excellence because I think adequacy is is inadequate. We need to do something about uh, energy. We ought to be leaders in using the innovative qualities of New Hampshire and the ingenuity we have here to lead on energy, to drive down energy prices for our business. We need to create um, a culture um, of arts, entertainment, and life here in the Granite State that attracts young people because we've got uh, an aging population that is not the workforce of the 21st century. And I uh, with all of it, I think education is key because we need a 21st century workforce. And that is going to take an uprising of of thought and feeling on the part of the people of the state 
the legislature and a, and a governor who demand that we prioritize education and find the creative ways to fund it without disabusing ourselves of the political, what may be the political reality around our tax structure. But there are deep challenges that nobody, I, I don't hear anybody talking about. So there's three things here. Um, the first one is on winning elections. And you know, the way to win elections, what I described before, is by connecting with individuals um, and having a, you know, a narrative that meets theirs, showing that they're listened to and so forth. And the, the, the likability factor, quote unquote, is, is a big part of how individuals feel when they, when they vote, particularly the independent low information voter types. And remember, Barack Obama famously said to Hillary, you're likable enough, Hillary. right? And and Barack Obama was able to become. Bill Clinton was a celebrity candidate, but Barack Obama was a huge celebrity candidate, and he was able to um, break through to low information voters with a message that was vague enough um, that individuals were able to believe in whatever they wanted. <laughs> How's that hopey, changey thing right. working for you? Right. So that's and that's a big and that's a big part of it, but. I also feel that individuals are tired of that hopey, changey type of a um, campaign slogan, and they're also looking for a person that does have concrete plans and that they're going to go into the Oval Office or the State House and say, I am here to lead. These are my plans, and I want them to be executed. I want health care to be affordable for individuals. I want there to be immigration reform. I want there to be some reasonable aspect of of gun control so that my family is safe, but I don't want to do it in a way that, you know, um, it doesn't allow law-abiding citizens so, to So that's gun. why Governor so, Sununu vetoed the common-sense gun legislation that would have established gun-free zones around schools, would have created waiting a, reason, a reasonable uh, waiting period, and, and um, uh, uh, done something about uh, closing the gun show, show loophole because right, he wanted to keep to us third safe. Thing. Third thing. The, the third thing is a person that can actually work with other individuals in order to achieve these. And finding that person that is able to do all three of those things, entertain enough to be likable, uh, to have concrete policy proposals so that uh, you know the direction that the person is taking them and that they're going to lead. They're not going to say, hey, Congress, uh, go do immigration, uh, go do my wall, uh, you know, go do a tax reform, and uh, whatever happens, I'll, you'll come, we'll talk about it. Or, hey, Congress, go do um, the health care bill, and we'll you know, call it the Affordable Care Act and become Obamacare, but I'm not going to really be all involved. With it. They, they want a president or a, a governor that is going to lead, but they also want to know what direction they're going to be um, taken in. Uh, in regards Are you sure? Are you sure? Let's just, I want to just, I want to call you on one thing. Sure. I'm not sure, and you tell me whether I'm right or wrong, I'm not sure that in New Hampshire, New Hampshire voters traditionally have not necess- been that interested in a governor who leads actively. It seems to me that in New Hampshire, as opposed to what people are looking for on the national stage, that often people seem more interested in strictly personality than than whether or not the governor of the state has a strong vision 
um, and has an active agenda because the power of the governor is so diffuse with the executive council, a 400-person um, uh, House of Representatives, uh, 20, uh, 24 people in the Senate. You, you get a huge, this huge legislature with lots and lots of, le- uh, of legislation. It's very, very challenging in New Hampshire for a governor to to lead in that strong way, both in terms of uh, both personality and plans Mm -hmm. that you're talking about. I would agree. I mean, individuals are looking more for that on the presidential side. They're looking more for the the windbreaker governor um, that goes out there and represents New Hampshire well and is more of a mascot than a, a policy leader. But I do think I mean, that my dog Scuppers is here with us today. Scuppers is a golden doodle. He is one of the best dogs, one of the best looking golden doodles I've ever seen. I think I think I'm going to nominate Scuppers for governor of New Hampshire. He's friendly. He's loyal. He does the same thing every day. You can count on him. You, you know exactly what his timing is. You don't have to worry about where he is. He sticks around, but he's uh, inquisitive and curious enough. He's really likable. I mean, if you want a mascot. If Scuppers were president right now, he'd be at 53%. He'd be at 50 I think he'd be at 75% <laughs> if, Scuppers, if Scuppers was either president or governor right now. His favorability would be through the roof. Just the fact that Scuppers can't speak would be beneficial. Well, that would endear him, that would endear him yeah. to the electorate because yeah. people are so tired of hearing people talk. Right. Right? I, may, I, I may have underestimated Scupper's popularity. You did. You did. I, and I'm, 57%. Not per, I'm not personally insulted, but I still think it's like 75. Well, at least in the, in the more liberal areas of our state, in Keene, he gets 75%. But if he was seen as being your dog... He, that's automatically going to Hey, look, hurt the him. one good commercial I ran when I ran for Senate was me and my old dog, Bagel. I had I had a gold colored dog bagel and we found we found a great you know I was driving a great station wagon I was driving a green station wagon and we shot a commercial with scuppers leaning out the window it was gangbusters All, it, it gave me a valuable lesson if I ever run for office again and I'm just saying that's 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 a big if as I said, that's that you know we're talking about uh, the great white sharks uh, off the uh, coming coming up to the Staples Plaza in the Connecticut <laughs> River. If I ever run for office again, at the insistence of so many of my friends, um, I think all I'll do is do commercials with me and Scuppers. Scuppers <laughs> is gonna Scuppers is my mascot, you know, because a guy who has a a, a good looking golden doodle is golden in politics. It's off the record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com. What a great show we had. I talked with Chris Ryan, a smart guy about politics, and in the end, we decided that wherever politics has come from the time of the hippy-dippy, yippy generation back in Woodstock, In 1969, on this very weekend, now it's time to run Scuppers the Golden Doodle for governor. Now that is one of the best ideas I've heard. As Chris Ryan said, since he can't talk, he'd be eminently more popular and probably just as qualified as the current president of the United States, who unfortunately can talk, to be a leader for today. Scuppers is the leader of today. We'll be back next week with more hilarity on Off the Record with Paul Hayes.